Bulletproof Youth I was a young warrior, a bulletproof youth. This was my time I could not lose. As the first ship sank, I held my breath. Now I knew it could end in death. As a nineteen-year-old, I wrote my will, should the enemy me they kill. Looking round at all my mates, our carefree journey soon turned to hate. When our officers told us the Sheffield was lost, I wanted revenge. The die had been cast. On D-Day we turned from boys to men. Our lives would never be the same again. My young eyes saw the dead and dying. Burnt, limbless guardsmen, but no one was crying. I took a life, but saved a few. I was a soldier. It's what we do. To those that we left in the cold, frozen ground, we will remember you as we drink our first round. I was a young warrior, a bulletproof youth. As for war, I now know the awful truth. Tumble down. Come keep me company a while, upon this mountain I lay. Pour yourself a hot brew, tell me about your day. I will patiently listen, I'm not going anywhere. When you've told me your story, I'll make you aware of the minefields around, tripwires and booby traps. So take your pack off your back, sit down and relax. I'm from Glasgow, my friend. You can call me Jock. I was killed on this hill. There's a hole in my smoke. I'm not alone. There are twelve guardsmen here. We got to the top. There's no foe that we fear. When you go back to Scotland, tell your pals about us. We'll never leave our post. Do our duty, we must. The sun is almost down. Your path downwards is clear. I hope you come back some day to visit us here. Author's comment. Tumbledown is a mountain that saw fierce combat in the Falklands War. Tinsel and beer. Tinsel is caught in the breeze from the door. Without choice, he is back on sword beach. A Christmas decoration becomes barbed wire. He has a drink from his pint, but only feels the dry throat he had that terrible day. Beer tastes like metallic blood. Party revellers' voices become a dull, nonsensical mush. Flickering fairy lights are now raking deathly shards from a German MG-34. Nobody notices him shake. A slap on the back, like his corporal did back then. Happy Christmas, Tommy! I don't want to move. Please don't let me die. Beer spills down his leg. The bar door opens wide. Those same blue eyes meet his green eyes. Comrades together again. A smile cracks Tommy's face. It's only tinsel after all.
scrapyard confetti. I took a bullet in the heart, but I didn't know back then. Shell fragments penetrated my soul. I didn't feel a thing. We were heroes, the newspaper said, but I can now feel the bullet and the ring ringing in my head. They are all still young men, buried in frozen soil, forever the real heroes, died for freedom, not foreign oil. So I charge my glass to drink for them all. We will meet again in Valhalla, hip hip hooray, for the glorious dead, still walking this mortal coil. The freezing, horizontal, driving Cumbrian rain and hail lashed against Connor Ryan's cottage bedroom window, sounding like small stones announcing a new morning. It was 06.30 hours. Connor was wide awake, but lovingly holding his sleeping wife in his arms. He was content to spend a few more minutes watching her gently and peacefully sleeping. For a split second, the men saw a blinding orange flash through the cracks in the doors, then nothing. In the pitch darkness, it felt like they were being buried alive in a coal mine, then the floor and walls shook like an earthquake. They actually left the ground for a split second. Mahmoud wanted to scream, but his status as a soldier and wanting to be fearless and brave prevented any noise escaping. The lights flickered and came back on to his relief. How many rounds do you have for the RPG? Two, said Boardwalk. Okay, the obvious place to take out the door from is using the abandoned bulldozer as cover to the left of the mosque. I don't want to teach your grannies to suck eggs, but use the shovel as cover. Seen? Seen? shouted his men. Boardwalk, Brummy and Camel, you're with me, Scouser and Dragonovic. You give us covering fire when we move. Once we take the door off, you join us and we make entry. Understood? Understood. Victor 1-1 Charlie shouted enthusiastically, giving each other fist bumps. An American thing, thought Connor. Right, fire that one first. It's high explosive fragmentation. Should do the job. Connor spoke into his radio to Scouse. You ready, Cabbage Ed? We've got you covered. Roger that. Now moving, clap at. Dragonovic and Scouse exited the showroom, sprinting towards their comrades, jostling for position behind the protective heavy metal. Camel sprayed the mosque wildly with his AK, lifting it above the bucket without looking. Short burst, Camel! Conserve your ammo! ordered Connor. Then, incredibly, the four remaining defenders outside the mosque suddenly made a suicidal charge towards the bulldozer. Eyes wild, screaming, foaming mouths, rifles blazing wildly. Hold your fire! screamed Connor. It looks like these zombies have taken a month's supply of Captagon in one go. They were well bunched and a ridiculously easy target. He just wanted them a bit closer. I've got this, said Brummy, crawling slightly to the left of the bucket, and fired a five-second burst from the LMG into the zombies, cutting them to pieces, leaving them dead and bleeding out in the hot desert sand. Right, Boardwalk, you're up. Give us an opening. Connor knew they were now less than 200 metres away, which was well within effective firing range, but wished he was a bit closer. 80 metres was good, but this was the only cover. We could have lost the restaurant. Bookings are down. I had to close last weekend. No staff. My boss gave me time off work. She could tell I was exhausted and was a danger to the patients. 
Jenny began sobbing uncontrollably. It's over now, Jen. I'm home for good. Hitting the driver's side front wing of the lead limousine exactly at the same time as he pressed the button that detonated the 12.7 pounds of TNT and the rest of the makeshift scrapyard confetti inside the aircraft. The heavily armoured limousine exploded in an orange-blue flash, the front of the limo completely detaching and folding over on itself like a macabre sandwich, the occupants totally disintegrated in a molten fireball. The large crowd shredded with shrapnel, instantly killing 58 people and injuring 277, cloaking the city centre in black smoke. The avenue slowly began to shriek with the sound of injured civilians, just the conscious ones, some of them hanging onto life by a thread, gradually falling back down to earth into the scene of absolute destruction, the detritus of body parts, vehicles, shop glass windows, chairs, descending like a hellish ticker tape celebration. Shop alarms and emergency services sirens wailed in the distance. It was that moment in time when everything stops, like the aftermath of the collapse of the World Trade Center in New York. It was another John F. Kennedy moment, only far bloodier. The world held its breath. The noise was unbelievably quick and almost paralyzingly loud, and the terror it brought, fleeting though it was, was mind-numbing. Until you've been attacked by a fast jet bomber, you can't imagine what it's like. Forget the movies, they're a joke. Even standing at the end of an airport runway and listening to the big 747s come and go doesn't come anywhere near. The plane passed over us at a height of around 30 feet. He'd have knocked the chimney pots off my house back home and doing well over 600 miles an hour. At low level and at that speed, the sound of its howling turbofan engine was here and gone in a matter of seconds, like a deafening, horrifying thunderclap that turned my insides to mush. The almost overwhelming urge, if you have time, is to hide, to dive into a trench, to get behind rocks, to find some sort of cover. But that's not an option for professional soldiers, and it certainly wasn't an option for rapier missile operators. Our job was to do the exact opposite, to sit there, naked to the world, in the hot seat of the system, and try to shoot the enemy down. It wasn't a comfortable experience. Our positions were always highly exposed and our camouflage was next to non-existent, and the pilots knew what we had in mind. This one had come over the hill behind us just after we finished our T's and A's, tests and adjustments, sticking to the contours of the land to make it even harder for us to hit him, and banking away in search of our ships as he passed above. I could see the word Armada stenciled on the side of the white-bellied plane, and the bombs on his underside, and the helmeted head of the pilot turned downwards to look at us. Then he was gone, leaving nothing but his downdraft and hot smell of kerosene exhaust and a loud ringing in my ears. Nearby, a platoon of infantrymen were yelling abuse and letting rip with their SLRs and a GPMG, several hundred rounds disappearing into the pale blue sky in a futile gesture of defiance. It's extremely hard to hit a fast jet with a rifle, but the boys were having a good go. To my right, one of our missiles roared off the beam as Quinny engaged the Argentinian, but he pulled right and disappeared around the headland and away to safety, and the missile fell harmlessly into the sea. 
I watched him all the way as he streaked out of sight, and silently thanked God that he had other targets in mind that day. The unlucky ones didn't get that chance. At those speeds, if he's on his bombing run and he knows what he's doing, by the time you've heard the jet, you're already on your way to the next world, propelled there by a couple of tons of high explosive and a vicious hail of supersonic steel shrapnel. That was my introduction to the A-4 Skyhawk, one of a number of planes thrown at us by the Argentinians during the Falklands War. The A-4 was a 40-foot, 8-ton workhorse of a killer which would go on to wreak havoc on our shipping during the conflict, destroying the Coventry, the Antelope, and the Sir Galahad, and taking a lot of good lads with them. A number of pilots lost their own lives, flying with an almost reckless bravery that you had to admire, even while you hated the bastards and wanted them all dead. As the sound of the disappearing jet blended into the background noise of the wind and cooling seagulls, I got on with digging my trench. We'd only landed on the Falklands a couple of hours before. As I dug, my mind was buzzing with adrenaline, and my heart was still thumping in my chest. Although we'd had an air raid warning, I hadn't heard a thing until he was almost on top of us, and the reaction time was close to zero. If we'd ever entertained any doubts that this war was the real thing, and that people were going to die, they were surely gone now. This was deadly serious.